There's a story in the Theravada tradition about the ascetic Sumedha, who was a renunciate living at the time of Dipankara Buddha, the Buddha, a Buddha before our Buddha, Gotama Buddha. And this was hundreds of thousands of eons ago, long time. And it's said that this ascetic Sumedha had so purified his mind that if he had heard a single teaching of the Buddha, he would have become fully liberated. One day on his alms round in the village, he saw that there was a a commotion in town and he inquired what was going on and he was told that the Buddha of his day, Dipankara Buddha, was coming to town. And the village people were getting ready for his arrival. And everyone had a section of the roadway or the pathway to prepare for the Buddha to come. So Sumedha, wanting to see Dipankara Buddha, went to the roadside, prepared a section of road. And when Dipankara Buddha came walking into town and came to into view of the ascetic Sumedha, Sumedha, through the power of his purified mind, saw the nobility, saw the uh, demeanor, saw the radiance of the Buddha, and he was so inspired, he made a vow to himself that he too wanted to become a Buddha in order to help others free themselves from suffering. Dipankara Buddha, having the power of mind of a Buddha, looked at this uh, ascetic on the side of the road and said, recognized that he had aspiration to become a Buddha. And he did a quick scan of the karmic record, so to speak, and, uh, <laughs> and realized and saw that indeed, in some future time, this ascetic mind stream would indeed become a Buddha. And so he confirmed to that ascetic that his aspiration would be fulfilled. Thereupon, the ascetic Sumedha became Bodhisattva, one who is destined to become a Buddha. And in the Theravada tradition, this is what is required to become a Bodhisattva. You must make your aspiration in front of a living Buddha and have it confirmed by them. Thereafter, that mind stream, the mind stream of the ascetic Sumedha undertook hundreds of lifetimes. Hundreds of lifetimes in all forms of being, in the animal realms and human realms and hell realms and heavenly realms and all the realms. In order to perfect the qualities of heart, mind, required to become a Buddha. And he was perfecting the paramis, putting himself or finding himself in the most challenging, difficult circumstances in order to develop more patience, more generosity, more loving kindness, more understanding, more truthfulness, commitment to the truth. And when you read some of the Jataka stories, Jataka tales, which are the stories of the lives of the Bodhisattva, pretty challenging, demanding uh, at times uh, conditions. When in this lifetime, born as the Prince Siddhartha, living in the royal palace, wandered off and undertook his six years of ascetic training, discipline, 
and then eventually realized the truth under the Bodhi tree and became the Buddha. It was the lawful, natural result of having perfected the causes and conditions for Buddhahood. It wasn't accidental, it wasn't a mistake, it wasn't lucky. It was, he had done all the work, fulfilled all the conditions in order to become a Buddha, and it was inevitable that he would attain the realization of the truth that he did. Throughout those hundreds of lifetimes, what would it take to keep a mind on track, headed towards the aspiration of Buddhahood, and eventually accomplishing the goal. There are two of the, all of the paramis are required, of course, but there are two that are maybe most notable for keeping, <coughs> keeping on track, and that is resoluteness, that steadfast, just coming back to again and again and again, just so resolved to fulfill his aspiration that nothing could sway him, deter him, impede him, block him for long. And secondly, a persistent, persevering energy willing to stay on the path. And these are two of the paramis that we too are working to develop in our practice. Resoluteness and balanced energy. One becomes a Buddha when all of the paramis are mature. And we could say that they become mature when they become the default setting of the mind. Meaning, it is the mind's first recourse to go to patience or loving kindness or generosity in trying difficult every situation rather than tilting towards impatience and chagrin and stinginess. The mind doesn't go there at all. And it's just the, well, have you noticed your default setting in the mind today? Uh, there's some room for improvement, I, I've noticed. <laughs> Buddhahood will have to wait for another day or so. Okay. But what we can see from our own efforts on this retreat, this lifetime really, is just the extraordinary quality of a Buddha's mind. Someone who has made the paramis a default setting in every situation. Wow. So even in the few days that we've been here on this retreat, you can see how much energy it takes. Just the continuity, it's just from the time you wake up to the time you go to bed, it's just one moment after another, an opportunity to be mindful or asleep. Mindful, <laughs> mindful every moment. And it's easy to lose direction, it's easy to lose track. What am, what am I doing here? Why, why am I here? What am I, why bother with all this? You know, is this the right way anyway? And we can see how challenging it is to cultivate resolve and to sustain or maintain a balanced energy. So I want to speak about these two paramis tonight because they, they kind of go together. 
in some way. Actually, all of them go together, but these two um, are particularly close. We're calling these qualities, the paramis, the qualities of inner beauty. Now, why would resolve be a quality of inner beauty? Well, imagine the lack of resolve. When we are unresolved, undetermined, un, you know, we drift, our energy is dissipated, we have a lot of beginnings and very few endings, and we just don't get much done. We don't have the resolve or the energy and the stamina to carry through to completion even simple things that we might try. And so when we find in ourselves the resolve to undertake a task and complete it, we feel how that is, the strength of mind and the clarity. And it's not like it has to be self-congratulatory. It's not that. It's we feel clean. We feel, uh, and we can see it in others the clarity and the commitment and the purity of mind that can, can undertake that and do that. And energy, well, nothing is accomplished without energy. You can't bake bread without energy. You can't. You can't do anything without energy. And so, Arousing the energy for something as noble and something as transformative as liberating the mind, well, that's a kind of energy, a level of energy, a continuity of energy that, well, we'll discover it on our journey. Now, the thing that's important to understand about energy is that when mature, energy is very balanced and very refined. It's not just bullheaded, locomotive, heading down the track, powerful energy, but it's the continuity of just enough to be awake in this moment. First, I'll speak about resolve. The word for resolve in the Pali language is aditana. And so we talk about aditana parami. What is the aditana parami? What is the perfection of resolve in the mind? Well, for the bodhisattva, and depending on our aspiration and the clarity of our aspiration, it may be the resolve to awaken, free the heart, free the mind, for the benefit of all beings. That's, that's a pretty high bar. That's not just to kind of get through the day, get through the week, you know, kind of manage your stress. It's not that those aren't significant and challenging in and of themselves, but it's the high bar when it becomes a parami, it is motivated by the wish to help others. And that is a defining characteristic of the paramis, is that it is accompanied by compassion, the wish to help others free themselves from suffering. That's what makes it a parami. Baking bread, not a parami. Even if you have a lot of resolve, not a parami. Unless you want to feed the world with it. Okay. What would it take to be that resolved in your life? Well, it takes some understanding, some clarity of aspiration, some understanding of what the goal was, knowledge. It would take a tremendous amount of energy, continuity of energy at least, collectedness of mind so that the mind wasn't dissipated and distracted. 
a tremendous amount of confidence. How could we be so resolved and decisive and steadfast in our effort without confidence? And yet, clearly, if we're headed in the direction of liberation that, well, took the Bodhisattva hundreds of lifetimes, we better be patient <laughs> and maybe kind of calm about this whole thing. Saito Utejaniya, one of the monks that we practice with now in Asia, in Burma, he says, you know, meditation practice is more like a marathon than a sprint. And while we may come at it with real sprint energy, get in there, get to it, we eventually come to, and hopefully sooner rather than later, come to the understanding that this is a long haul. You know, and to chill, <laughs> chill a bit, chill with diligence and uh, make the effort that you can sustain for the duration. We have, we have some, uh, some landscaper, caretaker, gardeners come to our land occasionally to help clear weeds and brush and cut trees and bushes and, you know, generally just help for a day. And they're not fast, but they're steady. They start the day at the same pace they finish the day at. And they always say of me, you're good for two hours, <laughs> but you can't work eight at that pace. And that's, it's true, I'm, I'm a real and I'm cooked after two hours. And they're just still going after three, after four, after five, after six. And they finish the last hour at the pace they start the first hour with. We can learn something from them. Effective practice isn't about being in a hurry. It's about being clear about the goal, of course. Knowing the direction, yes. And reaffirming it moment by moment with confidence. So resolve is this state of mind informed by inspiration, aspiration, intelligence, equanimity, confidence, energy that is steadfast in direction. It's not hanging on to some experience. It's not hanging on to even a goal. It's not hanging on. It's just clearly aligned in the direction of its aspiration. So what is not right resolve? Well, striving. Uh, gripping. Uh, grimacing. Contracting. Clenching trying to uh, pull the goal towards you, trying to prematurely leap to it, rather than patiently satisfy the conditions that will inevitably give rise to it. It takes an understanding of cause and effect, really, to have an effective resolve, to understand that the resolve will be fulfilled when the causes and conditions are fulfilled. We don't have to reach for the goal. We need to work with the causes that will give rise to that effect. But, you know, we, in the course of our practice, get uh, sidetracked by all of the hindrances, we might say. And sometimes our resolve is contaminated by doubt indecision, wavering, meandering, where, as I mentioned, we start many things and finish few. Some, and this is part of our responsibility as spiritual seekers, uh, those looking for peace, happiness, liberation, freedom, whatever you're looking for, there's just a smoggish board of options out there. You walk into any bookstore, go online, and 
type in spiritual practice, it's like, where do you begin? And so there's some, inevitably, some sampling of the, the, you know, this tradition, that tradition, this teacher, that teacher, this practice, that practice. But at some point, we have to make a decision. This is the teacher, this is the practice, this is the lineage, this is the tradition that works for me. And sit down for a good meal. Because nibbling at the smoggish board is not going to be satisfying. And so we really need to resolve our doubt through our own experience. Try this, try this, try that, try the other thing. And know for yourself from your own experience what works, what resonates with you, what really calls forth the best within you, what inspires you. And then, well, have the courage to articulate your aspiration and follow through. I've told this story and some of you will have heard it, but after I had done one two-week retreat, I decided I wanted to go on staff at the Meditation Center in Massachusetts. And one of my first days on staff, I was up in the attic, for those of you who've been to IMS, up in the attic of the annex, uh, insulating the ceilings of the dorm rooms. And I was working with another staff member, Rodney Smith, who now, you know, in, in Seattle. And we were having a discussion, he reminded me a few years ago, about Nibbana. Of course, I did a two-week retreat. I'd have a lot to say about Nibbana. <laughs> but <laughs> nevertheless, he reminded me that I said then, and it shocked him, that I said, I have no doubt that in this lifetime, I'll realize the Dhamma. Yeah. <laughs> of course, I had no idea what I was saying, and I had no idea what was going to be involved, but I had no doubt. Confidence, that kind of confidence, or that kind of clarity, that kind of aspiration, doesn't rely, doesn't depend on knowledge. It depends on an inner certainty and an inner commitment, an inner knowing of yourself that can say, I have no doubt, meaning I'm committed. That's, that's the direction I'm going for whatever reason, you know, or no reason. Like, you know, pit bull mind, going that way, and I'm not letting go. And even after, you know, a two-week retreat, the Dharma, you know, some... Some say that, you know, once you practice the Dharma, once you get a taste of the Dharma, you may forget the Dharma, but the Dharma won't forget you. You know, and it keeps grabbing you and pulling you back from the abyss of, you know, indulgence and whatever, and just say, hey, wake up again. And that kind of no doubt is a great support for, of course, resolute, aspiration. Sometimes our resolve is contaminated by, well, laziness, sloth and torpor, dullness. And, you know, sleepiness is a very natural human condition. There is nothing wrong with being sleepy. It happens. It comes. I mean, it, we just have to recognize it and, and, and take the appropriate action. But laziness is something else. Laziness is just, I'm going to use the word, being unwilling to bear with whatever you're facing. Now, is there anyone in the room that has not experienced a lot of pain, discomfort, and unpleasant experience in your life? Silly question. I mean, of course. We all experience a lot of unpleasantness, and almost every day. And yet, we still try to avoid it. We still try to deny it, avoid it, minimize it, and, and, and that's good. But it's unrealistic. Wouldn't we be better off to say, look, since it's going to happen anyway, why don't I choose to endure it willingly? 
it's going to happen anyway. The body's going to be uncomfortable. The mind is going to be fretful. Okay, accept it. That's the way it's going to be. That's willingness. That's the not lazy. That's the kind of energy of not lazy energy in practice. Being willing to, you know, the body's unpleasant. It's to be expected. Okay, can I be with it? Am I willing to be with it? Our conditioning says, no. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not willing to be with it. I want to get rid of it. I want to avoid it. I want to deny it. I want to minimize it. I want to get out of here. And yet, it still happens. And it's not because you're doing something wrong. It's not because you're a bad person. It's not because you don't know how to practice. This is the very nature of the body and the deeply conditioned mind. It suffers. That's it. So, what would it take for you to consider willingly experiencing, observing, noticing, being with unpleasantness in your life? Well, that's what it takes to not be lazy. I mean, none of us, none of us want to feel like we're lazy. But in spiritual practice, what we're talking about is, are you willing to bear with what's happening? Upandita, in the first time I was working, uh, doing a long retreat with him, he heard, you know, my name was uh, Armstrong, Steve Armstrong. So he got a big kick. Every time I'd come in, he'd say, hmm, Mr. Mindstrong. Is your mind strong today? And I go, What's that mean? <laughs> I, I, I don't know what that means. Is your mind strong today? Do you, know what it, do you know what it means? Is your mind strong today? Well, eventually, I discovered through my own practice that it means, are you willing to bear with what's happening today in your body, in your mind? Is your mind strong enough to bear it? Is your, are you willing to, is your mindfulness steady enough to just, this is the way it is. Okay, this is the way it is. It often wasn't, but I didn't know that then. Now I do. Sometimes our resolve is well contaminated by attachment, where we have this very kind of personalized ambition, maybe, to achieve something for ourselves, some idea about ourselves as enlightened. And that's our, well, aspiration. That kind of aspiration, contaminated by attachment, is only going to lead to disappointment, frustration, or, if successful, pride. Either one of which is going to prevent us from reaching the goal. Our aspiration and the resolve to realize the aspiration of liberation or wake, awakening is not personal. In the sense that it's not about you. It's not about me. It's about willing to fulfill the conditions and causes that will give rise to the result of liberation. Are you willing to do that? And it's not about a personal getting something. Actually, it's all about letting go of everything. And yet it seems like through language, you know, we get liberated, we get enlightened, we get something. Unfortunately, the language is kind of wrong, actually. We don't get anything except free of suffering. Sometimes our aspiration and resolve is contaminated by aversion, where the fear of failure, fear being a form of aversion, the fear of failure or being inadequate undermines all of our efforts. That fear is aversion. If it's there, it, well, undermines the effort 
It undermines the energy, it undermines our understanding, it undermines our commitment. And we think it's normal, we think it's reasonable. Of course I should have some doubt, some fear, some, you know, about something as noble, something as far-reaching as liberation. And yet, it, niggle, it, it just kind of niggles away, sapping the resolve, undermining a commitment, taking our energy, making it just that much more difficult. You know, I really have taken it to heart, the, the Buddha's injunction to go to the forest, sit under a tree, meditate. And so, at our sanctuary on Maui, we're planting trees. And we planted, a, you know, 1,500 now, and this year we planted another 370. So I started a new section of the, one of the hillsides, cleared it, and cleared out the brush and rocks, and laid out the irrigation system, dug the holes, and planted 370 trees. Whew, that was a project. As soon as they were in, and just kind of, just kind of reaching for the nourishment of the soil, the irrigation lines started breaking. And the, there were some fittings, some T's, some fittings that I had put one at every tree in order to get the irrigation line around the tree, and they were defective. But I didn't know that, you know, I'd go and, you know, after the irrigation would run one time, there'd be a couple of them broken. And I'd say, oh, well, put those, put a new one in there. And I think that's it. Next week, a few more broken, a few more broken, a few. And I came to this painful realization, these were defective things, and I had to replace all 370 of them. I was not happy. I, I was resolved to grow the trees, but I, this was an added... <laughs> but you know, when you want to do something, and you're resolved to do it, nothing can be allowed to be an obstacle. Nothing. No matter how challenging, how momentous, how huge, how unpleasant, it can't be an obstacle. Or it, you know, stops the resolve, right? Tenzin Palmo, the English woman who, in the Tibetan tradition, spent 12 years in the cave up in Bhutan or the Himalayas somewhere. She said, in spiritual practice, there's no obstacles, there's only opportunities. When we really see this is the goal, this is the direction we're going, this is, this is our aspiration, this is, and we do it with resolve, sure, there are unpleasantness. There are, well, challenges, there are demands, but every one of them in time will be seen as an opportunity to develop more of the paramis. More patience, more energy, more resolve, more generosity, whatever, whatever it is. And so you see that, oh, as difficult as it is, it's not an obstacle, it's just an opportunity to, okay, let me step up to the plate. If this is what's required to fulfill the causes of my aspiration, so be it. This is, what's, this is what's asked. You know, Trungpa Rinpoche, he was asked one time about uh, a spiritual practice and uh, reach, uh, the, the goal of enlightenment. And he said, you know, it would have been better if we never had begun, <laughs> really. But he says, since you've all already begun, it would be better if you finish. <laughs> Good luck! <laughs> so this is the direction of resolve. This is what resolve does. There, there's more to be said, of course. But this is what resolve is in our practice. And you begin to get a sense of the flavor. It's not 
a command. It's not, it's, it's our own, well, it's a capacity of the mind. Just like love is a capacity of the mind. Not yet fully developed, we still have periods of aversion. And yet we know there is this mental muscle of love and compassion, or, you know, confidence or, or resolve. And by exercising it, it gets stronger. So if we make the resolve and work to develop it, exercise it, you know, fulfill it, feed it its requirements, then it will get stronger. There's a time in practice, both in Vipassana practice and in jhana or concentration practice, where that's what you do. You work on developing resolve. And there's a whole series of, of practices you undertake to develop this mental muscle. And you know, this, you, you, you plant the seed in your mind to be resolved to do this, to do that, to do something else. And I mean, I'd never heard about it before Sadhu Pandita started saying, now I want you to resolve your mind to do this, that, and the other thing. And I'd say, what is, what's that mean? He says, I oh, just plant the seed in your mind and then just do your practice, see what happens. Well, eventually your mind figures out what you're doing and starts developing this, this resolve. I had such a clear experience of the power of training resolve one time when he said to me, now I want you to uh, resolve your mind to do this. And I burst out laughing. I said, well, that's ridiculous. I said, I, I don't even believe I can do that. And he said, that's okay, that's okay. Just resolve your mind to do this. So I said, okay, well, what, he's the teacher, I'll do what he says. So I went back to my room, Next sitting, I resolved my mind to do what he said. Instantly, the mind did it. It's like, how did that happen? I didn't even think it was possible. I didn't do anything to make it happen. What I saw and what I've since had confirmed by others is that resolve in the mind is not intentional. It's a capacity of the mind which you can train. And once trained, it is malleable, it's workable. It will work for you through intention, of course. You ask the mind or you, you know, resolve the mind to do something and it will. It's not because you personally make it happen. This is really powerful. And when the mind is that pure, of course, you have to keep it, the resolves pure in order for the mind to do it, but resolve comes to your aid. Things that we cannot do, we wouldn't know how to do, or figure out to do, or even believe we could do in, on this spiritual journey, the mind can do when resolved, when resolved, the mental muscle of resolve is developed. I want to spend a little time speaking about energy because, as I mentioned, nothing is accomplished, not only in the spiritual realm, but in our ordinary household, political, civic, social, domestic, economic realm also. Nothing is accomplished without energy. Now, Upandita when I first started practicing with him, did not speak or understand much English, and so he always had translators. And sometimes he had really good translators, and sometimes he did not, had kind of, well, marginal. But dozens, hundreds, frequently, consistently, I would get something he said translated as, please try harder. Okay, here you are, sweating bullets, 20 hours a day, enduring, excruciating pain, sitting and walking, doing nothing else. Please try harder. What does that mean? Well, it means clench, 
scowl, shrug, shoulders, clench, something. I don't know what it means, but that's what I did. I went, I'm trying harder. Okay. We're developing awareness, right? That's what we're, we're trying to become aware of what's going on, what the moment's, present moment's experience is. Okay? One, of, one piece of the present moment's experience is the sensations in your buttocks from sitting here. Right? Tell me, how much energy does it take to feel the sensations in your seat? Did you have to clench your fist, grit your teeth, furrow your brow, hunch your shoulders to do that? No. This is an important lesson. The amount of energy it takes, well, feel the sensations in your right hand. You don't have to move your hand, you don't have to, you don't have to assume any other posture than what you have right now, but just feel the sensations in your right hand. What did you have to do to be aware of those sensations? You had to direct your attention with your intention towards the precise location of those sensations and then receive them and recognize them, right? It's hardly physical, it's not a physical energy. It's a mental energy. Awareness training is all about mental energy. What does it take to be aware of the mind, of the body, of this moment's sensation, this moment's experience? That's all it takes. In any moment that you're aware, that's all it takes. Now, it's not difficult, is it? It's not difficult. It's not impossible to feel the sensations in your hand. But what's difficult is to do it from the time you wake up to the time you go to sleep. Okay. Why? Because of habits. We have all these habits that take us away, cause us to forget, cause us to make wrong effort. Clench, hunch, endure, grit. <clears throat> all, well, let me just say, wasted, energy. I, I'm sorry to say, I mean, I, I waste, I, 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 I expended a lot of unnecessary energy for years, decades, you know, trying to do something physically that can only be done mentally. What gets in the way is the defilements. The defilements arise in the mind, the aversion. You know, you sit for you sit for 10 minutes, 20 minutes, half hour, and discomfort arises in the body. It's not, it's, it's not difficult to feel that discomfort, is it? Right? It's, it's not difficult to feel that. It, it's knocking on your door. You know that immediately. Right? Why can't we just be aware of it? Just say, wow, that's unpleasant. That's aching. That's hardness. That's hot. That's heat. That's vibrating. That's pulsing. That's tingling. Why can't we do that? Because we don't like it. We don't like it. And we put all our energy into, I hate this, I want to get rid of it. What's wrong with me? Why can't I do this practice? My body, is it ever going to walk again? I don't know, maybe this is an old injury. I, maybe it's a sign of disease. You know, and all of that is, well, wrong effort, wrong energy, wasted energy. But that's what, that, that's what happens. All the defilements, that defilements arise in the mind and they take our energy away from awareness, right? They're telling us stories about what's going on rather than just being with what's going on. And when we are very averse, you know, the body reflects the tension in the mind of aversion. So you walk around with a hunched shoulders, clenched fists, gritting teeth, and you think, <laughs> I'm relaxed. <laughs> Or we get wound up in, you know, doubt or fear or attachment or, you know, pride or any, something else. And it conditions all this tension, all this holding pattern 
in the mind. It's draining to hold the body with the mind. It takes all our energy. And so we have no energy, no mental energy to just notice this is what's going on. And so our effort, our whole direction of our effort, we really want to check this out, is to, is mental energy. It's the mental energy to know what this present moment's experience is. That's all. Now we do it, you know, sitting and walking. We think, well, why can't I just keep walking? Well, you can, you can, you know what? It doesn't matter which posture you're in. You can sit for an hour, you can sit for five hours, you can sit for five minutes, you can sit for, you can walk for as long as you want. It doesn't, you can lay down, you can stand on your head, you can, you can do whatever you want. Just watch the mind. Does the mind know what this present moment's experience is? That's, that's, the, that's the effort. That's the energy that's required. Okay. We all have our deeply conditioned um, habits, personalities. I myself, unfortunately, wasn't born with the patient's gene and have a kind of a default setting of aversion. It's just, you know, it's just my conditioning. Uh, you know, I'm not proud of it. I try to restrain it, but nevertheless, it's pretty present. Kamala, on the other hand, doesn't. She has the other kind. You know, the kind of, we call them the sensuous type. Right? It's kind of looking for a pleasant experience. So, several years ago, when our daughter was just first learning to drive, Christmas season, Kamala and I were going shopping. Our daughter offered to drive us to the, to the mall, drop us off. And as she dropped us off at the mall, she said to us, Now, Dad, float. Mom, focus. <laughs> she got it. And that's the challenge for all of us, is really to find the balance between float and focus in our practice. Are we floating, drifting along? If so, focus, pay attention, be, be a little more specific. If you're really on top of it, hypervigilant, really just bearing down, hey, relax, chill, float a little bit. Because it's the balance in our energy that is going to allow the present moment to be known, to be felt. If we're too wound up and too tight and trying too hard, well, all we're going to be paying attention to is the intensity of our intention. We're not going to see anything else. Big mistake. If your intention to be mindful is the strongest, the predominant element of the present moment, that's all you'll see. You won't know that. You'll feel the tightness in the body and the gripping and you'll think it's something else. But it's conditioned by the intensity of your intention. Relax. Relax the body. Relax the mind. You know, when I say relax the body, you know what to do. You know, you, you, you scan the body and you find those places that are holding and you go, oh, okay, <laughs> relax. Okay, relax. Okay. Now, relax your mind. <laughs> what, do you, what do you do to relax your mind? Okay. Well, again, you look at the mind. You look at the mind and you find where there's some holding. What are you holding on to? Some technique? Holding on to some idea about how you're supposed to do it? What the experience is supposed to be like? What you're not supposed to do? We have all kinds of ideas about how to practice. And we hang on to them and try to do them. But we need to relax the grip. I'm not saying we don't do anything. We do. But we need to be somewhat relaxed in the mind so that we can actually open to the present moment's experience. So right effort is not just gripping and pushing and locomotive going down the track. 
it's being relaxed in order to open, to actually feel the present moment. And remembering that. It, mindfulness is remembering. The characteristic of mindfulness is to remember moment to moment. Can we remember moment by moment to pay attention, to observe, to feel, to connect, to recognize what this is, what this present moment experience is? Sometimes, of course, we need to exert different kinds of energy. There's one kind of energy that the Buddha talked about. It's called avoiding energy. You know, that was his first injunction. You know, if you know that there's a place, a person, a behavior, a thing that causes you, causes your mind or conditions in your mind, unwholesome state of mind, you know, you get irritated, you get frustrated, you get disappointed, you get angry, you get impatient, whatever, avoid it. Avoid it. Just, just avoid it. If possible. Why? Well, as... What's, what's your name? i got to find this one here. As... Mary Carr said in her often quoted poem, the mind is a dangerous neighborhood. Don't go there alone. Now what that means is we have, there is conditioning in the mind that will precipitate defilements, unpleasantness, anger, irritation, frustration, disappointment. That's the danger in the mind, dangerous neighborhood. Take your mindfulness with you. Don't go there without mindfulness. Don't go rummaging around in your mind just for something to do. Take your mindfulness there so that you don't get caught, you don't get mugged by some of that conditioning. Avoid. Another of the Buddha's uh, instructions is to be willing to bear with and to overcome those unwholesome states of mind that have already arisen. Inevitably, you know, there are times when those defilements, they get, they get rooted in the mind and they come out and they're really bugging us. We're angry, we're irritated, we're frustrated, disappointed, we're self-judgmental, we're critical, we're depressed, we're <laughs> doubtful, fearful. You know, the list is endless. And we get caught. The mistaken belief that we start practice with is, I've got to get rid of this in order to practice. I gotta get rid of my fear. I gotta get rid of my sleepiness. I gotta get rid of my attachment. I gotta get rid of my anger in order to be mindful, right? Wrong. Actually, those experiences are the very place, the very experience in or to use to establish your mindfulness, to be aware of irritation, anger, to be aware of frustration, to be aware of sleepiness, to be aware of, to observe, to observe in order to learn and to know the nature of these states of mind. It's not that we're just trying to get rid of them. You want to get rid of them? Distract yourself. That's easy. You know, just turn away from that, go read a good book. There. But that's not going to free you from the grip of these defiled states of mind. It just distracts you from it. It kind of puts it on hold, it's kind of out of sight, over the horizon, around the corner. But what we're doing in this practice is being willing to take a look. Oh, there's some conditioning. There's some tendency to resort to impatience. There's some tendency to resort to frustration. There's some tendency to resort to shame, or whatever, whatever your particular top ten are. When we see that, Wouldn't you want to understand why and how that happens? If you really want to be free of that, the grip of that unpleasantness that causes you so much suffering, wouldn't you want to understand how it happens? Because it is understanding that is going to free the mind. Not just getting rid of it, avoiding it. It doesn't get rid of it. 
It's still there. And so this practice is to take a good look when actually when any of those come up, turn to it and say, okay, what can I learn from this experience? Here it is, anger, full-blown frustration. I'm sure you had one of them today. Okay, it's unpleasant, we know that, but can we learn something about it? Most yogis make the mistake of expecting good experience instead of trying to work with the defilements, Saidu Utejaniya says. I can confirm that. I expect, I want good experiences in meditation, but mostly I get defilements. Right? I mean, I'm not the only one, right? <laughs> okay, so if they're going to come and this is what's happening, our assignment is be with it, feel it, observe it, understand its nature. Because when we understand, then we can be free of it. Saito Utejaniya also says, it's not you who removes the defilements. Wisdom does that job. Wisdom is understanding. When we deeply understand how these defilements work, how they get hooked into the mind, how they proliferate in the mind, why, how they take root and stay there, when we understand that, then we don't follow it. We don't allow it to happen. We, we, we catch it before it sprouts, or before it becomes a real entangled mess. This is the kind of energy that we need, the willingness, really, the willingness to be with whatever arises, pleasant or unpleasant, and to just to, to have the stamina when needed, to have the resilience when needed, to have the courage when needed, to have the subtlety when needed, to be with what's happening. That famous spiritual teacher of the last century, Carlos Castaneda, taught by Don Juan, said, <clears throat> or wrote, Don Juan assured me that in order to make myself or to accomplish the feat of making myself miserable, I had to work in a most intense fashion and that it was absurd. I had now realized that I could work just the same in making myself complete and strong. The difference, or the truth, is in what we emphasize, he said. We either make ourselves miserable or we make ourselves strong. The amount of work is the same. If we're going to expend all this energy, why should we invest in the defilements? Resistance, avoidance, fear, anticipation, depression. Why should we invest in that? It just makes us miserable. If we take all that energy that we invest in that and turn it around to observe them, we invest in wisdom, awareness and understanding, which has as its fruit liberation. Freedom from the habits that cause us so much unhappiness. You can see from hearing about energy how important it is to have resolve. If we aren't resolved, if we don't feel a strong commitment to our aspiration, when we meet a difficult and challenging situation, our energy won't be there to work with it. And we'll fall off the track. We'll divert our direction from this aspiration because it seems too difficult. And so once we're clear that this is the direction we want to go in life, that we want to go towards more awareness, 
more contentment, more patience, more understanding, more love, more equanimity, more balance of mind, more openness, more truthfulness, more generosity. Once we're clear that that truly is the direction we want to go, and why wouldn't we? Then to make the resolve, to really work to develop the capacity to resolve the mind in that direction. And then, as we make effort in our practice, all of the effort, all of the energy will go towards fulfilling the causes that will inevitably give rise to the result of fulfilling our aspiration. As I said, it's a training of the mind, it's a training of the heart. It's not personal. If you're clear in your aspiration, if you make the resolve to realize it, and you're willing to make the effort, no one and nothing can prevent you. It's just a matter of time. Are we willing to make the effort? Is there a willingness to face this is the way to recognize this is the way it is and it can be dealt with? So let's sit for a moment, let the words quiet down. <clears throat> 